So whatever unwholesome feelings may arise, we um, make sure that they just stay there in our hearts. So say if anger has come up and our hearts are very hot, then we don't let that anger escape from our hearts. If there's uh, a lot of greed that comes up in the heart, then we keep that in the heart. We don't let it spill out. And also if there's a lot of delusion that's arisen in the heart, we make sure that stays in the heart and it doesn't um, come out. And if the mind is getting involved in anger, we make sure that that doesn't flow on into ill will, into wanting to hurt other beings. Because um, it's normal for a sotapanna, a stream mantra, to still feel anger, but they won't experience any ill will because they'll have seen the harm that comes from it. They have faith in the Buddha's teachings and in the Buddha. And the Buddha taught that ill will will pull a being down into the lower realms. And a sotapanna is someone who has cut off those lower realms. They're not able to fall into those anymore. And it's impossible for them to take birth there. So they have this great and unshakable faith in the teachings of the Buddha. And their body and speech, their actions of body and speech, are um, in a peaceful and wholesome state. So there's the um, example of Lady uh, Samawadi. And she, along with her 500 followers or attendants, um, were locked inside a building. And that building was set fire to but while she was there and she wasn't able to escape and um, this fire was uh, engulfing the building, she recollected or reflected upon karma and what it was that had caused her to be in this situation. She also recollected death and saw that her death was coming very quickly. And through this contemplation, she was able to attain to the level of a, a sakadagami, one who will come back to the human world just one time and will attain to being an arahant there. All of the 500 attendants um, that were there as well were locked and getting burnt in this building. They all attained to being sotapanas. So there wasn't any thoughts of anger, vengeance, ill will towards the person who had caused them uh, all of this suffering, who had set fire to this building and locked them in there. And so for all of us, we should uh, use this as an example as well, and that we should have sincerity in our practice and really be devoted towards it. Because having been born into this world, we have to experience many things. When we um, gain something, we also have to meet with loss. These two come together. When there's praise, we'll also meet with criticism. 
when there's status or fame, will also have to meet with disrepute. And when there's happiness, we'll also have to experience pain as well. So having come into this world, all of us will experience all of these eight worldly dhammas. There's something that we have to meet with. So therefore, we should reflect often in a way that stops us from being heedless. Whether there are things that we like or things that we dislike, we shouldn't allow our minds to get lost in that. And if something happens externally, um, say some of our physical possessions or something in the world gets um, destroyed or uh, gets spoiled, we shouldn't allow our hearts to be spoiled as well. Or just let the external things, um, we'll let that happen to the external things, but not allow our minds to be upset by that. So the Buddha taught that we should know and understand things in line with their truth. That having been born, we will have to meet with old age, sickness and death. And the things that this life depends upon are just temporary things. So like these four elements that have come together, they've just collected together in a temporary manner. And all of the wealth that we have, um, that is also temporary. These bodies, um, they are a temporary thing as well. And they'll have to meet with death and decay. And we can't find, when they do break apart, we won't be able to find any self in them either. So therefore, what we should do is to try to seek out the Dharma, to seek out the truth, in order for this to become a foundation and a refuge for our hearts. Because the external things, we have sought those out already. And these are the four requisites of uh, clothing and food, shelter and medicine. These are important for us to be able to live on in this world and survive in this world. But what's of greater importance is seeking out the truth. Is in having this Dhamma there as a foundation and a refuge for our hearts. Because the truth is what brings our heart to purity and makes it bright this brightness that comes through gaining an understanding that is in line with reality. So for all of us, having taken a human birth, we have a very precious opportunity to study the Dharma, to be able to practice um, and develop our samadhi. And why is it that this is such a precious opportunity? Well, if we were born as an animal, for instance, it'd be very difficult for us to try to find the opportunity to build up wisdom to any significant degree. And there's no way that we'd be able to understand the Dhamma. But as humans, we have the necessary um, sati, mindfulness and banya wisdom, to acknowledge and accept the truth of the teachings that the Buddha gave us. So we shouldn't waste this opportunity through heedlessness. 
but rather we try to use it as best we can in order to be able to attain to the Dharma that the Buddha taught us. So having gained this very good um, chance, we do our best with it. This chance to meet with this Buddha-sasana, this Buddhist religion, dispensation, and the, the arising of a dispensation of a Buddha is something that doesn't come easy at all. So we should all bring up zeal and energy in the practice, have faith in generosity and faith in keeping the precepts. And then we come to develop our samadhi, this collectedness and firmness of mind, which is necessary for us to be able to gain an understanding. And we shouldn't uh, follow any doubts that we have in this practice, because we see that all of the methods um, come under this path of sila, samadhi banya, of morality, of um, collectedness and of wisdom. There are many different teachers nowadays in the Buddhist traditions, and um, they can um, expound dif different methods of meditation. So some emphasize the keeping of mindfulness in the body and being very aware of all of the movements throughout our day, having mindfulness there uh, with the body as much as possible. And this is a correct teaching as it's found in the Satipatthanas, in the foundations of mindfulness under the um, aspect of the body, be mindful of the body. So this mindfulness of the body is a samatha object, a calming object of meditation. So whether we're standing, sitting, walking, lying down, we're aware of that, or focusing on the breath and using that as our object of awareness. This is also a mindfulness of the body and is samatha practice. And it's not vipassana or insight practice. Because the objects of awareness and contemplation that give rise to this clear seeing, vipassana, are um, in constancy, stress and not self. And this is exactly what Venerable Ajahn Chah taught, that in order for vipassana to arise, we need to have this anicca, dukkha, anatta, these objects of contemplation as the focal point of our awareness. Having these um, objects of contemplation, we'll eventually be able to see and understand this, that this body is simply a body. We'll maybe see into the four elements or understand various aspects of this body that will allow us to see that this body is merely a body. It's merely a physical form. And when we see that, this is true vipassana practice. Understanding that there's no self, there's no being, no me, no other there. Initially, this may give rise to tatanga vimuti, a temporary liberation. But it's also possible for there to be uh, a full and complete liberation, permanent liberation, that comes through the um, complete destruction of the kilesas, or rather the, the permanent destruction of some of the kilesas. 
And this will lead us to abandoning the three lower fetters. These fetters of self-view, of skeptical doubt and attachments to rites and rituals. So having this, this requires us to have very strong and stable samadhi, enough for genuine wisdom to arise. The understanding that we have needs to be fast enough for us to see into the truth. It's important for us to realize that this is the shortcut method of practice. This is already the quickest path for us to take. Looking into the body and understanding the body and seeing that um, we can't find a, a lasting or a true self there. When we see this, then we'll be able to defeat the defilements. And this is the fastest way of practice. So we should try to bring stability to our minds and keep our attention and awareness focused on the body. So there are these four um, foundations of mindfulness. There's the body, there's feelings, there's the mind and Dhamma. And these last two aspects, the mind and Dhamma, are very subtle and uh, refined levels of the practice. And in order to be able to engage in that, our mindfulness and samadhi needs to be very strong. And panya needs to be um, developed already to quite a high degree. And this, these uh, contemplating into the mind and into Dhamma is what the Zen tradition emphasizes. And it's possible to attain to arahantship through doing that. But these two aspects of being mindful of the mind and of Dhamma, this comes right towards the end of the path. But if our uh, samadhi isn't so full, then it will be difficult for us to engage in that practice. We need to have very strong samadhi. The mind needs to be very firm and collected in order to be able to destroy the kilesas permanently. Like Venerable Subhata, who contemplated into uh, the sky when he was looking at the moon. He saw that there was the, the bright full moon and then there was these clouds that covered over the moon and um, dulled its brightness. And then he took this reflection back into his self and saw that the Mental impressions, the aramanas, they cover over the heart as well. They cover the mind and make it dull. They cause it to lose its brightness. Just like the moon that has clouds obscuring it. And this was all that was required in order for him to be able to gain the knowledge that allowed him to attain to arahantship. He saw that these aramanas, these mental objects, are merely mental objects, and he lost all attachment towards them. He could contemplate and see the truth of them, to see the Dhamma there. But this level of practice requires a very strong, firm, collected mind. 
So the Buddha taught us to uh, practice right from the very early stages. So at the beginning of the practice, there's the dana, this generosity. And we um, develop that initially. We may wonder, um, what is a sotapanna like? But the sotapannas, they've developed this dana um, fully already. And the sila barami is already uh, very full as well. And then what comes next is the development of samadhi, of the collectiveness of mind, in order to uh, reduce and get beyond the hindrances. Once the hindrances have um, been put aside or have been suppressed, then it's possible to abandon the three lower fetters. Because these hindrances are that which um, obscures and prevents the goodness of our heart from flourishing. So the Buddha taught us to always keep our mindfulness with us, to not be lazy, but to be constantly collecting and bringing forth energy. To have Nibbana there as our goal. And so when we have that, then we won't be so interested in other things. We'll see that spinning around in the cycle of birth and death, um, constantly being stuck in this realm is a source of great suffering. But if we practice meditation and we try to develop our mindfulness and make that firm, try to make our samadhi very stable and strong, then it'll be possible for us to see Nibbana to perceive these bodies as merely being bodies, and then to understand and attain to the Dhamma. So when the mind isn't caught and dragged into liking or disliking, then at that point, the mind is empty. So Venerable Ajahn Chah said that we should uh, try to develop this mind uh, as much as possible to not allow the mind to get caught into liking or disliking. He gave the example of just like us sitting in this hall together, that there's the floor and then above us there's the ceiling. And we usually focus on these two points. But in between this is space, is this empty space. But we don't see that space. So the mind that isn't caught into liking and disliking is just like that space in the middle. It's the mind that's empty. When the mind is in the state, then we'll have seen into the truth of these worldly winds, these worldly dhammas. And we'll use our contemplation to get beyond them. We'll see that these worldly dhammas are a source of suffering and we'll be able to let go of them. And this letting go comes through our practicing, um, developing and walking along this noble path. This path that allows us to abandon greed, hatred and delusion. And what really um, enables us to let go of the hilesis is changing our wrong views into right views. This changing of views is 
a wisdom that comes up in our hearts. And wisdom can be defined as the thorough knowing of all conditioned phenomena in line with truth. So the wisdom that we've gained through our studies is just a kind of a, a worldly discernment or a worldly knowledge. And it's something that is useful in terms of gaining wealth and taking care of ourselves and our families, but it's not able to relieve the suffering in our hearts. It's still possible to have great suffering. For those who have only gained a little amounts of education, or those who have um, been highly educated, they still suffer just the same. The people who have a lot of wealth and those who have only a little wealth, they suffer just the same. So what does this happiness and suffering depend upon? It's not upon our wealth, because we can see that those people who have great wealth, they still have a lot of suffering. So suffering depends upon the views that we hold. And if we hold the wrong views, then we'll always be feeling this discontent and pain in our hearts. So we can see also that dukkha is a noble truth. And this noble truth has a cause to it. There's the cause of suffering, samutaya. And when that cause is there, then we'll have to experience suffering. But also, if we walk along the noble path, then we'll experience this nirodha satcha, the truth of cessation of suffering. So it's this way of sila samadhipanya that allows our minds to um, grow in peace and happiness and joy. We develop dana and sila, and we do this through wisdom. And when we do it in a wise way, then the mind will be very calm and happy. When we develop samadhi, then we experience an even deeper, even deeper level of coolness and peace. And there's great joy that comes up in the heart because the mind is very peaceful. This peace arises through our discernment. And um, a lot of what that discernment involves is seeing the dangers and the harm in the cycle of sangsara and in the mind that's in a very scattered and chaotic state. We see the danger there, so we try to always keep our minds here in the present moment, whether we're standing, sitting, walking, or lying down. We keep our minds present, always knowing what's going on, always being aware of the thoughts that are active in the heart and what they're being involved with. So this really comes down to us having and developing sati and panya. Of knowing and understanding the truth of conditioned phenomena of sankharas. When we do this, um, then we'll be able to suppress the hindrances and our minds will find peace at last. And we'll be able to see into the truth, see that all things that arise are of the nature to cease. And this is what the Buddha taught on Asalaha Puja, which is coming up very soon. And this teaching that everything that arises of the nature to cease 
is what allowed Venerable Anya Kondanya to gain the eye of Dhamma, to gain the wisdom to see into the Dhamma. Because he had a lot of paramitas, of the spiritual perfections, and all it taught was just all it took was just one teaching from the Buddha, and for him to contemplate into that, to be able to see and understand the Dhamma. And then the Buddha exclaimed, So Kandanya knows, Kandanya knows. And what is it that he knew? He knew Nama and Rupa, the physicality and mentality. He knew that all of these things arise and cease, and there's no true self to be found in any of them. He was then able to abandon all clinging that he had and see and understand the Buddha, then becoming a true and noble disciple of the Buddha. When the Buddha first came to them in order to teach them, initially they didn't want to listen to his teaching. They thought that they would just get up and leave. And they had the impression that he had given up his efforts and resorted to a life of luxury. But the Buddha told them when he came that he had attained to the truth and that his heart was free of defilements. And he asked them whether he had ever, whether they had ever heard him say this before. And none of them, even though they had stayed very close to the Buddha for many years before he attained awakening, had heard this, uh, these words come out of his mouth. So they thought that they would give him the benefit of the doubt and listen first and see whether anything he said had benefit. And if there wasn't any benefit or value to it, then they would get up and leave. So the Buddha taught that everything that is of the nature to rise is of the nature to cease. And what we mean by anything is any form of physicality or mentality. Anything in the universe or in the solar system, any object there is what we call anything. And so any of this, um, we can see that all of it, every single thing arises and then at some point ceases. Venerable Anya Kondanya saw this and this is what um, caused the attainment of Dhamma in his heart. And he then took ordination under the Buddha. And the Buddha used the uh, ehi bhikkhu uh, method of ordination, saying, come bhikkhu, saying that the Dhamma is well taught and you should lead this holy life for the end of suffering. Eventually, through the teachings of the Buddha, all of the five ascetics were able to see into the Dhamma. And it was... Uh, when the Buddha taught the Anatalakna Sutta, that all of them became arahants. So therefore, all of us sitting here listening now, we have faith in the Buddha, and we have faith in the teachings that he gave us. So in this life, we should do all that we can do to follow this path of Sila Samadhi Panya, to develop our mindfulness, to have firm Samadhi, foundation of mind, and to give rise to wisdom. When any, any feelings come up in our hearts, then we try to put them down, let go of them. And as we do this, the heart will become empty. It will be empty from those feelings that we've put down. And it's possible that if we are sincere, then we'll 
be able to see the Dhamma in this life. And if not this life, then maybe the next. So through the goodness and through the value, the benefits of all that you've all been doing tonight, chanting, sitting, to the listening to the Dharma, practicing meditation, I ask that this becomes the cause for you to attain to the Dhamma, to um, attain to being a Sotapanna. And so may all of you try to constantly have mindfulness and wisdom, looking after and taking care of your hearts. And may all of you grow and flourish in the Dhamma. <laughs>